something from uh, John Adams. He said something about America I thought was really good, and as Steve shared something from George Washington, I thought this would be a good thing to share too. He said, the general principles on which, hey, there's a little re uh, echo or a reverb or something. Yep. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the only principles in which that beautiful assembly of young gentlemen could unite. And what were these general principles? I answer, the general principles of Christianity in which all these were united and which had united all parties in America in majorities sufficient to assert and maintain her independence. Now I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. J John Adams. Father in heaven, thank you for the freedoms we have in this country. First of all, Lord, I thank you that uh, we are set free in Jesus Christ. We know the truth, and the truth has set us free. We thank you for that, Lord. We praise you that we can know you. We praise you that we are in such a country that I know we take our uh, freedoms for granted, Lord, but we thank you so much. Uh, we have so much to be grateful for. Thank you for your blessings, for your favor. Thank you for your protection, for your provision. And God, I thank you for sustaining us We're just one day at a time, Lord. You are sovereign and in complete control over all things. We love you. Lift up this t day to you. We thank you for this weekend that we can celebrate um, really what you have done here. And we're grateful, Lord. We're grateful. We have nothing without you. And we're thankful and blessed that we can live in a land that we are free to share the gospel. We are free to speak the truth. And I know, Lord, we're dealing with a lot of opposition these days, a lot of censorship, a lot of uh, angst when it comes to the truth of Jesus, Lord. But you said it. Your disciples went through it. And uh, followers of yours, we will face opposition. But we thank you that we have everything we need for life and for godliness. We thank you that we have your word. And we trust you today and one day at a time. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to Acts chapter 13. It's where we'll be today. And starting uh, in verse 13. And this will be a <laughs> much lighter of a message than last week and much shorter than last week. But I thank you. Thank you guys for uh, all the positive feedback. Um, Acts is an amazing book. You know, Luke was like uh, one of the best journalists of his day. Um, he was meticulous in detail. He um, wrote historical facts, cultural backgrounds. He always provided a setting, and he really detailed the path of Paul and uh, really the book of Acts, the early church, right? And now we're into that book by about 13 chapters. We're in chapter 13 now. Just looking at, uh, starting in verse 38, I will just read through it, and then we'll come back and we'll talk on a few points. So when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga 
in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, and here's where he goes into the history, and it all points to Jesus. Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of 40 years, about, he put up with their ways in the wilderness, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet, and afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, According to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. As John had first preached before his coming, uh, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every, every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And they, though they found no cause for death in him, now they're referring to Jesus, of course, they found no cause for death in him. They asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written about him, meaning the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament, predicting the suffering servant, particularly Isaiah 53 and other places, when they fulfilled all that, they took him down from the tree, the cross, and laid him in a tomb. But God, some of the best words in all of Scripture, but God raised him from the dead, he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings that that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. As it's also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, capital S, today I've begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead. No more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, Jesus, saw no corruption. Corruption. His body did not decay in the tomb. We'll get to that in a minute. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from the things 
from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, encouraged them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And verse 49, the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all that region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to go verse by verse, but I read all that to give you the idea of what happened, what they dealt with, how the preaching of the truth was received. And then, of course, they decided, all right, we're not going to stay here, and, and they're being persecuted, right? We don't know all the details on that, but we have an idea. So they wiped the dust of their sandals and moved on to the next town to preach the gospel. Um, hang on just a second. <clears throat> all right, there we go. I was looking for, I knew I brought a napkin up here. <laughs> Ah, uh, whoo. Okay. And you guys go, come on, we're in the sun, you're in the shade. What a wimp. <laughs> so let's go to uh, verse, starting verse 13, 14, 15. Um, they were in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And we don't know why John, John Mark, went home. But there's just an interesting point here. These guys are human beings, right? We all have different passions, personalities. So John, for some reason, went back to Jerusalem, so he wasn't with them. Um, we'll find out more in Acts chapter 15, but Paul didn't apparently appreciate the departure of John Mark, and to some degree, he seems to have lost confidence in John as a missionary. This, what does this tell us? Just a little thing you can read into this scripture. This reminds us that as great and godly as these early disciples and apostles were, these men were, as great as the work they did and had to do, they still had problems. They still had disagreements. They were human. They disagreed with one another. Sometimes they 
parted company sharply, disputing and saying, hey, we're, we're going this way, you go that way. But they both continued to preach the truth of God. But we have different personalities, different passions. Um, so then, in the first century synagogue, when it says, um, you know, the law was read, and then there was a prayer, opening prayers were offered, and then there was a reading from the law, which were typically the first five books in the Old Testament were read, then a reading from the prophets. Then, if there was um, an educated person present, they were invited to speak on the subjects related to the readings. So they gave Paul this customary invitation, right? And he didn't waste a second. He got up, he said, he motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel. And so he explained how God's work in history leads to Jesus. That's what Paul did. Last week we quoted Romans. We're talking about history last week, uh, not just American history, but we talked about the history in, in the world and the history of mankind, really the human heart. But explaining how God's work in history leads to Jesus. Romans 15, 4 says, These things were written so that you may learn and be encouraged have through the hope of the scriptures that you may be encouraged. What does it mean by these things? Whenever it's in the New Testament, these things were written, they're talking about what was written in the Old Testament. Even though some of it is long and lengthy in some of the law, Leviticus, right? There's a lot of dry Old Testament scripture, but it's for our instruction. We can learn from it. We can also learn from the mistakes of the children of Israel. How many times did God refer to them as stiff-necked and rebellious? We can learn from that. Right? So Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, and said, uh, The God of Israel chose our fathers. He put, he, and this is interesting, this is an interesting verse here. He put up with their ways. So this is what Paul said. Um, he put up with their ways. Um, verse 18. I thought that was interesting because Jesus, at one point when they came to him, I don't remember what question they asked Jesus, but he said, you people of little faith, how much longer am I going to put up with you? So even Jesus said, oh, <laughs> can you imagine? Here's the Son of God, God in the flesh on the earth, people coming up to him, they just don't get it, right? Jesus had to be so patient with people. Uh, so I thought that was a very interesting point. But So verse 23, regarding King David, it says, from this man's seed. What does that mean? According to the promise. God raised up for Israel a Savior. Um, this demonstrates God has a plan for history, and we need, we need to sense a connection to that plan. Jesus came up in that line of the Messiah and fulfilled th these prophecies of the Messiah, right? So he is the goal of history. We often say the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation it's about one thing, redemption. It's a story of redemption. Of course, a lot of human history, but the story of redemption, it all points to Jesus. The fall, the problem of sin. What's the solution? Jesus, the Messiah. So, um, let's see. Verse 24 through 29, just a couple points from that section. Um, The rulers, it says, who, those who dwell in Jerusalem, because they did not know him, 
nor even the voices of the prophets. Interesting point Paul makes here, right? The voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. They read the scriptures, the Old Testament, the prophets. The voices of the prophets are read every Sabbath. And it still says they did not know God. They read his word every weekend, every Sabbath. For us in America, it might be every Sunday, right? We, we hear the word of God read, but how many of you know there's a lot of people sitting in the pews and the churches and the comfy seats across America that don't know God, but they're sitting in there, they hear the words every Sunday, but then they might not live like the Bible teaches Monday through Saturday. But they come on Sunday, they hear the word. Interesting point that was made here, those the people in Jerusalem and their rulers, they did not know him, even though the prophets are read every, every Sabbath. So what did they do? The next line says, they have fulfilled them. Fulfilled what? The words of the prophets that spoke of the Messiah. The words of the prophets predicted Jesus would die. Well, it didn't say Jesus, right? But the, the Messiah would die. The Messiah would come and save them from their sins. The words of the prophets, he fulfilled them. In condemning him, they fulfilled these words, these prophecies, by condemning Jesus. So let's go back to John the Baptist for a minute. Um, he responded to Jesus the right way. What did he do? He was there to prepare the way. He prepared the hearts of others for Jesus. Sometimes that's what we do, friends. Sometimes we come in and boldly preach the gospel. Other times, depending on where someone's coming from, their background and their faith and whatever, we plant a few seeds. Someone else comes along after us, waters the seeds. Sometimes we plant, uh, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. So he prepared the hearts for others, and he saw Jesus as he really was. So John the Baptist knew that Jesus was greater. He knew Jesus was more than a teacher. He was the Lord God that we all must answer to. And here's a little note about John. In that day, it was not uncommon for a great teacher to have disciples follow him, right? It was expected that the disciples would serve the teacher in various ways. Now, this arrangement, as it often happens, this arrangement came to be abused so that the leading rabbis, some of them established certain things that were too demeaning for a teacher to expect of a disciple. So it was decided that for a teacher to expect his disciple to undo the strap of his sandal, that was too much. That was way too low, right? So it was too demeaning. So here, John insisted that he wasn't even worthy to do this for Jesus. Remember in the, in the Gospels, John says, I'm not even unfit to untie his sandal. That's who Jesus was, God in the flesh, walking among us. So John the Baptist said, I'm, I can't even untie his sandal, right? And there were those who were disciples and followers of John the Baptist saying, wow, we're your disciples. We're following you, John. You've got the word of the Lord on repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you're telling us that you're not worthy to untie this man's sandal, and you're calling him the Lamb of God? So those who didn't know the scriptures obviously rejected Jesus and delivered him to Pilate to be executed. This was true even though they lived in Jerusalem and uh, the rulers were among the Jews and um, G there's a point here I want to make about Jesus being executed and laid in a tomb. Um, first of all, it says they took him down from the tree. Um, they're calling the cross a tree. And uh, 
Paul drew on the idea from Deuteronomy 21. You can mic that down if you want. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 and 23. In that passage, it says that God curses someone who is hanged on a tree. And we are set free from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13. Paul wanted to communicate that idea that Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. Jesus took our sins and our punishment. He took on the wrath of God on himself so that we wouldn't have to. What do we have to do? Work to earn it? No. Believe. Just believe. Jesus, believe the truth. He did that for us. Believe, be thankful, <laughs> repent, and live accordingly. Now, I want to share a little note from my study Bible on verses 29 and 30. This is, I, this is fascinating. The Old Testament predicted the crucifixion of Christ on a cross. Psalm 22, Deuteronomy 21. Um, at the time, listen to this, you guys. Catch this. At the time when this particular form of execution was not even used. Did you get that? They didn't have Roman crucifixion 500 years before when David predicted this in the Psalms. They didn't know what that was. David got into detail on someone suffering, hanging on a cross, the thirst, the bones being out of joint, all these things. They didn't have that form of execution when that was prophesied. Isn't that fascinating? Um, his burial, this is another point number two, his burial in a tomb was also prophesied. Isaiah 53, 9. Why is that significant that they would point to the crucifixion on a cross or on a tree, which wasn't around at the time it was prophesied, and that the dead body of someone crucified or executed was buried in a tomb? Why is that significant previously prophesied? Because victims of crucifixions were commonly thrown into mass graves outside the city. They weren't buried. They weren't, you didn't take care and bury a criminal. You just threw them in a mass grave outside the city. Isn't that interesting? So the climax of Paul's message was the resurrection of Christ. He was, he was buried but did, in a tomb, but did not decay, as I said earlier, but he was resurrected. The ultimate proof that Jesus is and was the Messiah, he fulfilled three more specific prophecies. So I thought that was a great note on that. Um, so that those great words, but God, but God, um, he was seen for many days. What does that mean? I believe that's verse 30, but God, no, 31, and he, for many days he appeared. Okay, if you haven't studied this, you've got to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Mark that down if you haven't studied this. 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about all the people, mentions eyewitnesses. What's the most powerful thing, again, in the court of law? Eyewitness testimony. And the Bible names names, which is impressive. Because if, you if you're just making up a story, right, if you want to try to convince someone of something that is false and never happened, you would never name names, because then they might follow up and try to ask the people or someone that knew him or relatives, right? So um, he was seen for many days. And of course, the book of early, I believe, um, if it's not 1 Corinthians 15, Acts chapter 1, he was around for 40 days after he was raised from the dead. Jesus was appearing to people, having dinner with people, cooking them breakfast, appearing, talking with his disciples, 
for 40 days before he ascended into heaven, as it talks about in the first chapter of the book of Acts. In another psalm, of course, um, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. We mentioned that. David, here, David, Jesus was from the line of David, right? David, Jesus descended from that high priestly line, the king, and David did, did his body decayed. It was in the tomb. It did decay. Jesus, descended from David in the line of David, did not see decay. It makes it very clear to, to emphasize that point. So, wonderful words, but God. Man did his best to fight against God, even to kill him. Jesus, they thought, Satan thought, victory. Jesus is dead, but God was greater than their sin and rebellion. He raised him from the dead. Um, hundreds of prophecies, eyewitness testimony, as we've said many times here on Sundays. Oh, by the way, modern-day archaeological finds. <laughs> Every time they dig something up, a piece of pottery that dates back to some people who lived at a certain time, it, just, it reinforces something that's written in the Bible about a people group or about a place or about events that happened. They go, wow, Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote about that. Or, wow, that was in the book of Acts. Or, this is in the Old Testament. Look at that. So archaeology is definitely on our side. Um, but Paul focused on things that actually happened, right? He didn't focus on philosophy. Paul, in this presentation here, didn't even get too theological. Christianity is not just a philosophy or a set of ethics. It involves these things, but essentially, Christianity is a proclamation of facts that concern what God has done. What did Jesus say? One of the last words he said on the, uh, died on the cross, it is finished. Other religions and cults and new age and movements and things isms focus on man's works I can get to God if I can get in a better place if I just keep working if I just try to be a better person in my own strength uh, it's all about do 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 other religions are works oriented right do 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 what does Christianity say done Jesus said it is finished he completed the work the father gave him to do praise God praise God we could never measure up we talked about lawlessness last week we talked about the human heart being deceitful and wicked, we could never measure up. We could never perfectly fulfill the law. That's why Jesus had to come. He's the only solution. Um, so the resurrection does mean that Julie, Jesus is truly the unique son of God, and it proves that he was utterly holy, even in his work on the cross. So verses 38 through 41, when it says, By him, everyone who believes is justified, from all the things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What does justified mean? We are saved just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if we believe by faith and it is credited to us as righteousness. What is righteousness? Being in right standing with God. Now we're back aligned with God because I believe in Jesus through his shed blood on the cross and I am forgiven of all my sins. We are declared righteous. We are justified. So, um, so the promise is forgiveness, and that's offered freely in Jesus. Again, we know we can never be justified. Uh, we can't justify ourselves before God. 
to think that we can, and a lot of people still do, even Christians, some other religions, they think they can still work and work and be justified or do this for themselves. Um, doesn't measure up, friends. Th what that does is that gives us glory for something that we did, right? Where is that in the Bible? Now, God will hold us accountable for what we do and what we say, but we are not justified or elevated by any particular work, although we are to do good works. That comes naturally. After being um, thankful, authentically grateful for what Jesus did, that he died for us, that he gives us his Holy Spirit to live, after being that thankful, naturally, authentically, we are going to do good things. Our lifestyles will change. We'll start to be better, not on our own strength, but thanks to God, right? That's natural. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, another key verse to bring in here. It simply says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Imagine if, if we could get to a different level of heaven or get closer to God because of what we do. Imagine the competitions there would be. Hey, I did this. Your works don't measure up to mine. Well, I did this. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Hmm, I seem to remember Jesus' uh, disciples having that conversation when he was with them, right? Who's the greatest? They even asked him, who's the greatest of all of us? Jesus said, wait a minute. The greatest one of you will be your servant. Um, some want salvation in their own making, right? They want to be saved the old-fashioned way. They want to earn it. And that's our pride. So only a few months after this, by the way, after this, uh, what he spoke in, in the synagogue here, Paul wrote a letter to the churches in Galatia dealing with this, these themes of being justified by God's grace, grace and not keeping the law. So moving on, Je Jesus not only forgives us, we are justified. And justification, what that does, it, it just puts a positive credit on our account before God, gives us a credit. We all know what that is. Most of us have had a credit card at one point or use them. Um, so the warning here, though, there's a, there's a warning that if we do not embrace the person and work of Jesus with our whole lives, as many of the Jews at that time, it says they didn't know the word of God, even though the prophets were read every weekend, every Sabbath, they didn't know him, they, they rejected him. So there's a warning that the, those who despise him will perish. In this warning, Paul quoted a passage from Habakkuk, regarding the judgment that came upon Jerusalem. If God judged them, he will also judge those who refuse and reject his offer for, of forgiveness through the work of Jesus. So ours is an age of incredible grace, friends. It's amazing. <laughs> they wrote a song about that, Amazing Grace. God is also a God of great judgment. And sin must be judged if it, is to be, if, if it is not atoned for by the work of Christ. Do you understand that? God would not be just. He would be unjust. Imagine a judge, someone, you know, kills someone for whatever context that is and goes before the judge and the judge says, well, I'm, having a, I'm feeling pretty good today and I'm just going to have mercy on you. Go ahead. You don't have to worry about going to jail. You go, are you kidding me? He killed someone. That would be an unjust judge not making someone pay for their crime. So even though we have the grace of God available to us, those who sin will pay for their crimes, their sins. Um, verse 42, 43. 
the Gentiles. The Gentiles. Praise God. The message is for anyone who wants to come to Jesus. The message is for all who will believe, not just the Jewish people. What was that uh, verse at the very beginning? Um, go back to that. Um, the Gentiles. Where, let me go here. Anyway, it can't find it now for some reason. Um, he was called to preach to the Gentiles, right? That's, that's the point I was trying to make. Thank God, thank God that it is for anyone now. So continuing in that grace is the point they made. The Gentiles begged, <laughs> begged, right? Did they use that word in your translation, begged? It says, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, verse 42, the Gentiles begged these words might be preached to them again the next Sabbath. They begged. Why? Why? What? Begged? Guys, understand, they, they just thought the Jews were the only ones to be saved. And the Gentiles are going, this is great news. <laughs> it's for us too. Jesus died for me, not just you because of your synagogue. I can come to him. So they begged, please come back next Sunday and tell us about this. So they were hungry for the truth. They were hungry for what? Good news. The gospel is good news. Ah, oh, Praise God. I'm sweating more than I need to be here. Um, so the congregation broke up. Some of the Jews even started to follow Paul and, Star Paul and Barnabas. Um, they persuaded them. Paul and Barnabas persuaded the people who liked the message and were encouraged, they said, keep walking in the grace of God, continue in the grace of God. Both Jews and Gentiles at the synagogue responded positively. But Luke noted here, because Luke wrote the book of Acts, right? The meticulous journalist, the doctor, Dr. Luke, he wrote the book of Acts, and he noted that the greater response came from the Gentiles, and that's why. So continuing in grace is as important as beginning in grace, and we must never leave it as the basic principle of our relationship, the grace of God. Far too many um, think of grace as only our introduction. We're saved by grace. Once we're saved, set grace aside. No, they encouraged people to continue in the grace of God. And then uh, verse 45, 46, what happens? On the next Sabbath, envy created Opposition. When you speak the truth, there will be opposition, especially in this day and age today in a culture that's practically, practically intolerant. A culture that preaches tolerance in America but is practically intolerant of the true gospel, the true Christian faith. Envy. We talked about a little bit about Marxism last week and Marxism being kind of like the gospel of envy, right? Um, so this scene is really, it's easy to picture. And the whole city, this is not an exaggeration, right? The whole city was ready to hear the gospel from Paul on the next Sabbath. Why would the whole city, uh, in our day, people are overwhelmed with information and the 24-7 news cycle and technology, right? We have iPhones, the internet, radio, television, newspapers, magazines. We are inundated with information and everything that's going on in the country and Paul didn't have any of this. What did he have? The gospel, the good news of Jesus. So 
in those days when someone came through a foreigner, someone coming through town, when they came through, particularly if they were educated or had a message or if they spoke in the synagogue, um, that person was a source of precious information because travel was by foot or by donkey, right? So some, a new person comes into town with uh, information from another land or another place. They're going, well, let's hear what he has to say. So not only were they encouraged by this good news for the Gentiles too, but this was a, a new tweak to their thinking on what they believed about the Old Testament. So it naturally, it gathered a lot of people. So the whole city was gathered to hear the word of God. Wow, what a captive audience, right? Um, so the missionaries were proclaiming something new. So there was not uh, just the power of novelty there. There was more notably the power of the word of God. Romans 1.16, I believe, says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Here's four points, just four basic things. If you look at Acts 13, verse 44, 46, 48, and 49, four bullet points. One, the whole city came together, came together to hear the word of God. Two, Paul and Barnabas spoke the word of God to them first in the synagogue. They spoke to the Jews first. Number three, the Gentiles responded to the word of the Lord. And number four, the word spread throughout that whole region. And they didn't even need the internet for the word to spread. <laughs> so the dramatic response of the people made the leaders of the synagogue the most, here's the most educated and religious leaders. They're speaking this word. We're going, wait a minute. You're, you're letting the Gentiles in? <laughs> They're pointing to the scriptures on the Messiah, which were prophesied in the, in the, the Old Testament, in the scriptures that they read every Sabbath, and they're envious. They, so the dramatic response of the Gentiles made the Jews, the most religious and, quote, educated people, jealous. It was inevitable. Why? If you're more concerned about popularity than serving God, or if you're more concerned about being having a bigger following than the truth. That's a problem, isn't it? And some of those leaders, not all, but some of those leaders were more concerned about having a following, about being popular. So they opposed Paul, started contradicting him. The blasphemy uh, mentioned has to do with abusive and degrading language, but understand that here's a note. When we're involved in these conversations, they don't hate you personally. They hate Jesus. They hate God. When you, t when you represent God, what do we say? We are ambassadors for Christ. We, are, we Christians in this nation, in this culture, in this world, we are representing, we are citizens of heaven. We are representing our king, Jesus. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's not going to be popular more often than not. So don't take it personally. When they hate you, what did Jesus say? They hated me first. So they opposed the things spoken of by Paul. It seems strange, though, that these religious and educated people, they waited so long for their Messiah, right? They, it seems just amazing that they would now reject the message of the Messiah when they waited so many years. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ. So many prophecies specifically about Jesus that he came and fulfilled and they didn't receive it. They rejected him. 
And one great reason was they wanted to keep the division between Jew and Gentile. Nope, we're dividing lines. See, we're in America, we're doing that a lot today. We're dividing in, into people groups, politics, people groups. You've got victim groups. You've got the elite. You've got political people, whatever. We're dividing people into groups, and that's just the opposite of what the gospel does. The gospel unites. In Christ, what does it say? We are one. We are united in him. We are family. So they wanted no part of him. They simply could not accept a change in their teaching and their practice. A big part of that was tradition, guys. You know how hard it is to break a habit, a routine in your life. It's hard. But I'm, I don't know if it's still like this. I read like decades ago that the average, if you have a habit in your life, you can change that in 21 days. So you can establish a new habit in your life in 21 days. But they had this, their teaching and practice. So an average of three weeks, right? Because you just don't drop a habit. You've got to replace it with something good. Replace it with something that is godly. That, and as Christians, that's a good reminder for us. So some people reject Jesus, though, because uh, of the way he changes our relationship with other people. Some would rather hold on to their bitterness, unforgiveness, animosity toward others than, than to be reconciled and turn to Jesus. Now, we're in verse 40, 46 through 40, 48, and a few more points, and we're going to wrap this up here. Um, but Paul and Barnabas grew bold. He's, they said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But... Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, we turn to the Gentiles. And there's, there's that verse I was, the verse, by the way, he's quoting Isaiah 49, 6. That verse I was looking for earlier. Um, for so the Lord has commanded us, quote, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 49, 6. Paul quotes that again in the end of chapter 13 here in the book of Acts. So they rebuked those who rejected Jesus, letting the Jews know that it was a privilege that this message would come to them first, a privilege they were now rejecting. So when you tell others about Jesus, begin with your family, those you work with, those closest to you. But here's a lesson for us. Ready? If they... Reject it if they don't want to hear it, if they're defensive or if they're not quite ready, you're still going to share. But then don't stop telling others about Jesus. Just find someone else who will listen. What did they do? Paul and Barnabas, they, they said, all right. They literally, that's a sign. They literally made this physical sign. They wiped the dirt off the foot of their sandals and left that town, meaning we're going to leave the dust with you the dirt with you since you don't want to receive the good news. You have rejected it. We're wiping our sandals off and going to the next town. So with us, when we share, um, just find someone who will listen, and God will pr hopefully prepare other hearts. Um, so one point here, as many as, he ha as had been appointed to eternal life believed. They responded with more evangelism to open hearts now directing their efforts to the Gentiles in obedience to God's command and in fulfillment of prophecy. That quotation of, that we shared, Isaiah 49.6. So the Gentiles responded 
to Paul's invitation with enthusiastic belief, learning with joy that God does not hate the Gentiles, but offered them salvation in Jesus. So Paul showed wisdom, and we should take this as an example. He showed wisdom in not spending all his time trying to argue and persuade hardened hearts. Can you, can anyone here, can I, can you affect a hardened heart? Only God. Only God. But it doesn't say we are to ignore the fact that they need to hear the truth. We still need to speak the truth in love and share the message of Christ with them, the good news about Jesus. So, Not every Christian will sense how we do this. Here's the, wh- the question of how. Not every Christian will see eye to eye on methods of reaching the lost. Press on. If, if God made something clear to you and give you direction to talk s- to someone or to uh, share with them, pray for them first. Obviously, pray for them. Pray for your family members. Pray for those who don't believe. And um, at some point, you've got to share the gospel, right? Friendship evangelism, so to speak, there are different understand, understandings of that. But meaning, some, thi- some think you have to establish a friendship before you can tell them the truth about Jesus. So how many years? How many decades? Is it five years, 10 years? Is it 30 years? What if they die? You're a friend with someone and you don't, don't tell them about Jesus. They die. They know you believe uh, something about God and they, you carry a Bible. You go to church every week. They might die thinking you were a good person. But they don't know the gospel. They don't know the truth unless you and I share it with them. Ray Comfort, I love him. Uh, He thinks, uh, here's what I consider friendship evangelism. Ray Comfort says, I spend about uh, a minute and a half, about 90 seconds, just kind of getting to know someone, where you're from, what are you doing? And hey, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Let me tell you about, he goes right in. He says, after 90 seconds, I've established a friendship. (laughs) But the, the, Understanding today in American Christianity and the lukewarm, weak Christianity is, uh, let's not say anything yet. We might offend them. We might offend them with the truth. I don't find anything in Scripture about it. I mean, prophets were killed. Jesus' disciples, the early church, so many early church martyrs through the centuries preached the gospel, stood up for they believed, and many of them were killed. They didn't worry about making friends. They worried about pleasing God. Our allegiance is to him. We do need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You're not going to go in there and just blast away. You need to be saved. Turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins, even though that's the true message. So oftentimes it's how. And thank God for the Holy Spirit. He'll give you wisdom. And he'll understand everybody comes from a different place. Everybody has a different background. Everybody comes from a different church or no church or whatever. Anger at God or thinking they're a Christian and they're not because they think they're a good person. You're going to respond to every person differently based on your relationship, what they believe, and their background. So um, don't try to break through hard hearts. That's God's job. And remind others of the truth of history. Recognize what God did in his book. His story. History is his story, right? He allowed, whatever he allowed in the past is the past. Today, you and I have victory in Christ. And since opposition is guaranteed, and as we saw here, it was guaranteed. Wherever they went, there was opposition. 
God's bigger than that. But our job is to be prayed up, be praying in advance how we can speak to someone, be praying and how you can approach someone. Love them, but don't love them in silence. Love them with the truth, please. Keep fighting the good fight of faith because we know in the end, even with the opposition and the hostility now, in America, it's gone from opposition to Christianity to hostility toward the gospel and toward Christianity. We're intolerant, hateful, bigoted, homophobes, going down the list of how bad Christians are. And remember, in the, in the, in the end, friends, truth wins because Jesus has already conquered. Um, we're, we're along for the ride. Truth wins, but we won't be treated with kid gloves here necessarily because we have a, a co country now that is becoming hostile toward the faith. And we have a generation, as we mentioned last week, I, I'm trying, and I, I apologize, I want to make this public, I apologize, last week um, there were some things that I said um, that might not have been as sensitive as they could have been spoken, al although I spoke from a place of truth and I believe a biblical foundation, but I think you can speak and have the words be more gracious. I understand that a generation of people in America have been brought up believing that we are an evil uh, country. They hate America. They hate its founding. They hate the Constitution. They hate the Judeo-Christian principles and values, family, moral values, the, the God's law. We talked about the Ten Commandments last week and the lawlessness we're seeing in our culture today. We talked a lot about that. And what is our response to that? We have to understand where many people are coming from, and that's a place of not knowing the truth, and I mean not the truth of God's word, they don't know that, but they also don't know true history, the true history of America. So we have to be concerned, and I, I want to be better at being sensitive to where people are coming from, not hold back from telling the truth, but understand they're gonna hate what you say because you hate, they hate what you believe, and they hate the truth of the Bible and of America. And that's the enemy, friends. There's demonic uh, movements in our country wanting to take down this, this nation. And that's because they want to work this thing called globalism. They want a one-world government. And it's happening. America is in the way. A free country, a system of capitalism, is in the way of their globalist agenda. One side note here, and I wasn't going to get into this, but just last month, there was a big meeting called the World Economic Forum. One of their goals at this World Economic Forum, Forum, in their words, was to, quote, reset capitalism. What does that mean? Reset capitalism. They want to destroy capitalism and the free market system in America. So understand this work, however they're going to do that. They also said at the World Economic Forum, this is our plan. We've got to use this current crisis with the coronavirus and with rioting in the streets, we've got to use these protest movements and the, the COVID-19 as an opportunity to get in there and try to wreak havoc in Amer the American economy and, quote, reset capitalism. Look it up. They met last month, the World Economic Forum. You'd be amazed at some of the quotes. I think there was a, anyway, I won't get more into that. But I just want to wrap up by saying, Follow Paul's example from here. He was going from town to town, preaching the truth. They received it most times willingly, but when they started to be um, envious or they started to increase persecution due to 
opposition for whatever reason. What did he do? He didn't get in their face and argue. You can't force someone to believe. He went, he said, God bless you. You heard the truth. You heard the news. I'm going to the next town. So I'd like to close um, just with a prayer that I found from 1774. This is great, you guys. This is what I'm going to read to you is the first prayer of the Continental Congress in the United States House of Representatives. In Congress, right? Here's the prayer. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments. Look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these, our American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. To thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for that countenance and support which thou alone canst give. Take them, therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care. Give them wisdom in counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Convince them of the unrighteousness of their cause. And if they persist in their sanguinary purposes of own unerring justice, sounding in their hearts, constrain them to drop the weapons of war from their unnerved hands in the day of battle. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the, counsel, the counsels of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and truth and justice, religion and piety prevail and flourish amongst the people, preserve the health of their bodies and vigor of their minds, shower down on them and the millions they here represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior. Amen. Reverend Jacob Duche, Rector of Christ Church of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, September 7, 1774, 9 o'clock a.m. In Congress, first prayer of the Continental Congress, the United, or the, yeah, the United States House of Representatives. America has changed, friends. But we have, uh, the Romans 8.31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Keep loving your neighbor, but first love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor, and uh, we'll continue to do his work one day at a time, one week at a time. So have a wonderful week. God bless you, and um, thanks again for being here today, you diehards. Love you guys. Thank you.